While some weird and not really described dystopian society exists on the Earth, a fleet of American Airlines cargo ships outfitted with biodomes roam the solar system to preserve the last remnants of terrestrial plants and animals with the intent to one day refoliate the Earth, if only anyone cared. Since the people of this future Earth seem content with their synthetic food cubes and near 100% employment, the scheme is abandoned, much to the consternation of one ship, conservationist. So much so, that he murders everyone else in order to prevent the nuking of his beloved forest dome. Murder, mayhem, space hillbillies, Bruce Stern, and weird droids. This time on the Escape Pod, we discuss 1972's ecological sci-fi drama, for some reason named Silent Running. The emergency destruct system is now activated. The ship will detonate in T minus will detonate in T minus ten seconds. Hi, welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Nathan. My name is Ryan. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be back here. I mean, we never left, but I feel well rested. Good stasis sleeping. It's like uh, floating on a cloud of titties. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say kitties? Yes. I am as blank as a fart. So we both just watched... uh, Oh, crap. A silent running. <laughs> That's right. This is going great. But was it crap? We're here to determine that. 1972's Silent Running, starring Bruce Dern. Yeah. Who was a very familiar face to me. How do you know Bruce Dern? Well, that's the thing. Never met the man in person, but I looked a little bit into his his filmography, and um, he is just so prolific. It's really never-ending. He's still working right now uh, as an old old man in uh, 2020. And um, I was looking for, I was like, God, has this guy been in Star Trek or what? Because his face was so familiar. And he's definitely been in a lot, a lot of things. Too many to enumerate here. Most famously for me, he was one of the neighbors in the movie, the Tom Hanks movie called The Burbs from the 80s. And uh, I think you said you, you weren't sure what that was. I wasn't. In fact, like when I looked up uh, him on IMDb, they have that like the known for, you know, and it's like four or five things that the person's known for. And the only one that I recognized is the Cowboys. Oh, what's that? The John Wayne film, 1972. And I was hoping that he was one of the kids because it's this terrible, terrible Western movie where <laughs> he's got John Wayne in it, which is already horrible. But <laughs> he's he's got to like do a cattle drive, right? Uh, to save a town or some bullshit. And for whatever reason, there's no adults available. Like they've all been kidnapped or murdered or they're drunk. Who knows? So like in order to save the town, he's got to get this cattle drive and all. It, so it's just like 10, you yeah, know, like 11 year old boys that he marshals together to do this cattle drive. Yeah, by him, you mean um... John Wayne. Right. So, so he's like cranky old John Wayne dealing with a bunch of kids. It's, 
It's horrible. It's such a bad movie. Oh, I see it. It's uh, the same year as the movie we watched tonight. No, really? 1972. So I guess he wasn't one of the kids. I guess he was not at all. So anyway, that was the only one I had a chance of knowing him from, but I don't even know him from that. I like this guy. I like his face. Yeah. He's got a great face. And um, I like his acting. In in the Burbs, he plays kind of a... um, I can't remember really the the plot of this story, but it's a bunch of people in a in a suburban cul-de-sac in the eighties, and they start getting nosy and suspicious about the neighbors who they think are real freaks. There's kind of like a Boo Radley vibe, Radley House vibe around the neighbor's house. Bruce Dern plays kind of the crazy Vietnam vet neighbor wow. who has like a, a basement sure. full of ordnance, and uh, you know he's kind of got like Murdoch from the A Team vibes. Task Force One. This is Eagle Eye. Yeah. He's got a facial structure where he, it seems like, yeah, he could do that. In this movie, he kind of plays the, I don't know, the hippie-ish, can't tell. He's a conservationist. Yeah. Do you not like it when I call him a hippie? Well, um, conservationists might not like it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because that is an actual <laughs> profession <laughs> in science. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Get a job. Get a job, sir! Our opening scene, it's a a camera. It's kind of slowly gliding through someone's 70s terrarium. Yeah. With a really wet snail and a really wet turtle. Yeah, and the really wet frog. They really... The the person with the spray bottle is working overtime. (laughs) I think they added some glycerin to that spray bottle, too. Oh, I hope not. (laughs) Poor creatures. (laughs) So we got some biosphere space thing going on. It's like biosphere one, right? It's, it's what biosphere wanted to be. That's the earth, by the way. Oh, that's true. The earth is biosphere one. That's right. I forgot. This is the, the resurrected biosphere out in space. Well, I guess we don't really see that yet, right? Uh, as we're going through the terrarium, we get a uh, Bruce Stern like bathing in a grotto in the woods, basically. Yeah. He's cuddling his rabbit and whispering sweet nothings into its big ears. How are you today? Hmm? You feeling good? Oh. I bet you'd like something to eat, wouldn't you? Hmm? Here. Got something in my pocket here. Cute bunnies everywhere, and he's wearing like a, a monk's robe. Yeah, yeah, like a Jesus robe. It's really nice and brightly lit in there. Yeah. Like it is everywhere in this movie. The camera pulls back. And we see that, yeah, it's a greenhouse floating in space. Yeah, and the ship is cool. It's, um, I mean, the, here's, here's what I want to say about these ships. You know, they're, they're really great, like, utilitarian, industrial-grade, looking like long, narrow, kind of mm-hmm. oil derrick-y, you know, lots of pipes and lots of girders. It's all function and no form basically right there's about three or four of these ships i think yeah i don't think we know that yet but yeah ultimately there's definitely more than one there's more than the one our ship is called the valley forge and on on one terminus there's like four geodesic domes that are different ecosystems it seems yeah we see the desert one at some point Uh uh-huh yeah did you notice the ocotillo plant growing out of there yeah a little little slice of home the galapagos dragon or whatever the bearded bearded iguana oh yeah uh uh-huh because they're all they're crawling all over the desert yeah (laughs) i think the models were really cool they're just shot so poorly that they always looked fake yeah and that was my lighting quip i don't understand why everything is in this movie, for some reason, is lit like it's a sitcom. 
because you can you can tell they put a lot of work into all the sets yeah and they're cool but the harsh light just there's no time to suspend your disbelief about what you're seeing or no opportunity to that's my thing about the ships well yeah i agree i thought maybe like they put so much effort into the models they really wanted you to see that they're models right when you really hotly light your model airplane (laughs) or model train set yeah (laughs) model like yeah that's it looks like a model train set looks exactly like what it is they liked their models they sure did so i was gonna say in this beginning this is like you go camping and you find this really nice spot with your bunnies and your little waterfall and you know you're in like designated park you know camping ground or something and you know what always ends up fucking it up is a bunch of yahoos on quads (laughs) that come screaming through your campsite Uh uh-huh And that's what that's what we see. Even in the future, this problem exists. His hillbilly crewmates show up. <laughs> I think they even say like Yahoo over and over. Oh, they're they're having a good old time, careening around the ship, like bouncing off of each other and everything. Do I have to put signs up here to keep you guys the hell off my grass? Hey, I'm sorry. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Do you remember these relics from the 70s when we when we were kids in the 80s? Yes. I think there's always one person in like every neighborhood that still had one of these these six wheel. Uh, were they supposed to be amphibious? Yeah, they look like that. The the kind of thing that would be like on the the Christmas list in Playboy in the 1970s. <laughs> exactly. Assholes. So they're driving over his plants and his flowers, and uh, he throws a rake at somebody. He's not. <laughs> he's not happy. No, he's super pissed, and they're being dicks. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's not. I don't think yeah. it's cool at all. And even one of them's like chewing gum and laughing. So you know that that guy's the biggest asshole. Oh yeah. Oh, and one of them though is kind of like his buddy. Right. So there's three of them. There's these three guys, and one is wearing. A, I mean, they're like red, white, and blue uniforms, and that's how you keep track of who's who. They call him Lowell, right? And at this point, he's wearing his Jesus robe, but we find out later he has a uniform just like them, and it's it's blue as well, but it's got lots of patches. He's got the most merit patches. Yeah. We'll talk about that later, maybe. But right, so like the three yahoos are, like they have red, white, and blue uniforms. It's not obvious why they have different colors, but he also has a blue one. And his closest friend or the guy who seems to sympathize with him the most or isn't the least of an asshole, his is blue as well. And I guess the biggest asshole is in, is in white. It's It was hard to determine like how the ranking worked. Like It seemed like uh, Lowell, our lead, Mr. Dern had a lot of authority, but then a little bit later, depending on what they were doing, it seemed like the other the guy in the white uniform was in had more authority. So I don't know if it was a sectional thing or what. It's you know disclosed that they've been on the spaceship for six months and they've got six months to go. I've spent my entire last eight years up here dedicated to this project. The mission is to refoliate the Earth again. Yeah, again. Right? So, yeah, so they have this multiple ships filled with plants. And you kind of really get the sense that, one, he is the, that's his job. Like, he takes care of the plants, so he obviously cares yeah. about him. You really get the sense through the, the conversations and the dialogue of the characters that they're just kind of like, ah, yeah, come on. No, no one really, they're like, no one on Earth even cares. What about the forests? You don't think anyone should care about these forests? What's going to happen if these forests and all this incredible beauty is lost for all time? It's been too long, though. People got other things to do now. Yeah, like they're eating synthetic food. They're fine with it. He's eating vegetables. You know, like he's even like 
raising the window so he can stare at space while he eats his salad, you know, and they're just, you know, jerk-offs in the galley with their synthetic food. Right, He's when he's eating the little meal he prepared for himself, and he's staring out the window, like you say, the, the camera pulls back from the model, and we see the name of the ship, we see that it's the Valley Forge, and that it's an American Airlines freighter. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That was great. Yeah, the big old AA logo uh-huh. on there, Space Freighter. So, yeah, so there's this... Uh, a speech that's like not given by any of the characters, just sort of narration speech. It's clearly like about the whole mission of all of these ships and the refoliating the earth. And so we hear the speech with his drums, you know, this marching mu- drum music and talking about the fallow earth and just to sort of set the stage that they are on this sort of noble mission, you know, to, to save plant life and forests. And I, I don't remember if this is when the music starts or not. Oh, no, we're not there yet. Okay, yeah. So now we get to a scene where the crew, the four guys, are playing poker. This game is exceedingly simple. Lowell is really optimistic that they're going to... They're, they're basically pay, playing poker to pass some time because they're expecting a message from, like, Mission Control or whoever is in charge. He thinks that they're going to get called back to Earth and that the refoliation is going to begin now and that he's going to... See, he's going to get a position of, of power, not power, but a position of importance, right? He's He's been doing this for this for a long time, and he really cares, and he knows more about it than anybody, he says. And so he's pretty sure that, like, yeah, he's going to be in charge of refoliating the Earth, and he's really jazzed about that. Yeah, he's he's the expert. The other three don't think this is likely to happen. In fact, they think that the whole thing is going to probably get scrapped. Yeah, they're, they're definitely would be more pleased with that news. And Lowell, yeah, Lowell thinks that he's going to get a good job. He's definitely the expert. And I think he says that they're going to restart, like, the the Parks and Recs program, basically. (laughs) Great. People can start making baskets again. It's my feeling they're about to reestablish the Parks and Forest system. And he's also um, a hell of a poker player, apparently. Yeah. Why? What is that all about? Um, Just to be another little thing about his character. I guess. Okay. For fun later. Yeah, sure. But he's he wears like the little visor and everything. And he's totally dominating the game. Like he's in control of the game. So much so that his crewmates seem like very kind of disinterested in playing the game. It's I kind of got the impression that he wins a lot. And they're just kind of like, ah, oh, fuck, yeah. all right. That guy's never fun to play with. No. But Lowell seems like a nice guy. Usually... He does seem like a nice the guy. The person who's really good at poker isn't that much fun to play with nor are they that nice of a person yeah i was kind of getting the sense that he was being put forward as like he's the brains of the group like (laughs) he's he's smart he's capable and he has uh like a wide range of interests (laughs) like i'm writing his singles profile here (laughs) loves the outdoors poker and plants (laughs) good with animals i couldn't handle the dating scene anymore i mean i thought i was going to be single for the rest of my life so yeah he cleans their clocks in poker and finally the new orders come in all right this is from valley forge berkshire sequoia valley forge berkshire sequoia this is com central channel open for executive order auc 3423 listen to this boys the orders are to abandon the mission to eject all the domes and nuke them and then to return the craft to commercial service. The guy is like, I'm sorry, there's no explanation for these orders. He also says in the same breath, God have mercy on us all. So like, oh, wow. Okay. So this, maybe this guy understands it about what it means to get rid of the last of these ecological specimens. But then he also says like, kiss him goodbye, boys. Kiss him 
Goodbye, boys. This is it. We're going home. Oh, I can't believe it. I told you. I told you what I said. You just pack up those domes and go home. Yeah, I mean, was it Neil that that made that original speech? The propaganda speech you were talking about earlier? No, the the sad news that they're going to have to nuke everything. Yeah, I think it's this is the guy on the other ship. Yeah, because he definitely gets over it pretty quick. Yeah, he really does. Right, right in the same sentence. And Dern is not happy about this. It's insane. No, um, the guy in the white suit gives like a smile like he's like excited he's you know they're like we're going home and he's like i knew it anyway and i knew we were you know i knew you were wrong also we get to go home that's cool and um I, oh i guess the guy it's the guy in the red suit not none of this matters who's who it's just three assholes but yeah the red suit guy's his buddy yeah like uh taps him on the shoulder and says you know sorry but what are you gonna do see i knew that i just didn't want to correct you earlier okay oh well thanks <laughs> Sure. Now it'll be that much harder to edit it so I don't sound like a a dumbass. (laughs) Yeah, but now we get to the good part, right? The hippie forest child singing. Yeah, Bruce Dern is back in his forest dome, and Joan Baez is singing. Hooey. I did not know this was Joan Baez until the end of the movie. I, I wrote down that it was like a really bad Joni Mitchell wannabe. It's just so much vibrato. I think Miss Baez would have real issue with you saying that. <laughs> I'm sure she would. Joni Mitchell maybe too. I don't know. I mean, that's Joan Baez's signature sound right there. Oh, God, it's so bad. I know. I'm... I, and the lyrics don't help her at no. all. She's got no chance. To be fair, I'm pretty sure she didn't write the music. I mean, the lyrics. No, she didn't. Yeah, she did not. She delivered, though. But she did read them before she sang them, so. <laughs> Touche. Yeah, um, I'm not a... I, I have a lot of respect for Joan Baez, but I am not a fan of Joan Baez singing. But it's it's the kind of scene that um, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective sequence is made for you know he's standing there and the the eagle swoops down and lands on his arm <laughs> yeah. all the buddies and everything yeah that was amazing come to me jungle friends how this how that could that scene could have seriously been made I know. he even like he even like props up a, there's like a single flower that's fallen over and he, he he props it up, you know, like in stark contrast of the fact that everything's about to get nuked. He's like, I still care for <laughs> this one flower. <laughs> he's really feeling it in this moment. Oh, yeah, he's sad. And you don't think it's time somebody had a dream again? Huh? You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? The next scene, this is the uh, the mess hall scene. Yeah. He comes in and he's eating a cantaloupe and the, uh, which is apparently all he grows as far as I can tell, but. Oh, no, I think I saw some celery earlier. Yeah, and he's he's eating an apple at some point. Oh, right, later on. That's true. So he's got a few things. But he's eating eating his cantaloupe, and the other guys are eating there. You know, when when something's in season, sometimes you you get more of it than you want. Yeah, I mean, if cantaloupe's what you got, you got to eat them. I bet you he's real regular. (laughs) Yeah. Lol, do you have to eat that stuff in there? It stinks. His other crew members turn their noses quite afoul at this cantaloupe. They say that his food stinks. And they're eating their kind of little processed uh, protein cubes or something. Mm-hmm. And he goes on a real screed, and they just can't grasp it. I'd like to know what any one of you knows about real food. 
Well, what do you mean real food? What, out of the dirt? That's real food, isn't it? That's right. But the difference is that I picked it and I fixed it. And it has a taste and it has some color and it has a smell. And that it calls back a time when there were flowers all over the earth. And there were valleys. And there were plains of tall green grass that you could lie down in. That you could go to sleep in. And there were blue skies. And there was fresh air. And there were things growing all over the place. Not just in some domed enclosures blasted some millions of miles out into space. I thought that this is the part of the movie that you probably really connected with the most. Me? Personally? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do I rant like that? Just sit down and shut up. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. And shut up and leave me alone, all of you. Now let me eat. <laughs> no, I just, I don't know. I just figured that, like, especially when, like, their comeback is, like, uh, you know, he's, Lowell is, like, why would you want to live without food? And they're, like, yeah, but everybody's fine. And nobody misses it. And we all have jobs. Yeah, we all have jobs. The guy said, he says, like, well, there's no disease. There's no, I guess he says no hunger. There's hardly any disease, hardly hunger, and everybody has a job. Yeah. Yeah. So he's painting a kind of utopia, but it, yeah, it really sounds like a a very Orwellian utopia. Yeah. Uh, job, like you say, being the emphasis, and, and if they're all eating protein blocks and there's no, <laughs> there's no f- nature anymore, I mean, good Lord, pretty, pretty grim. Yeah, I just I just feel like at some point we were sold this idea that we all need to have jobs and yeah, it's a terrible idea. Gee, I wonder who's selling that idea. What's in office? This white capitalist swine, swine. And then the guy in blue says, "If people cared, something would have you know been done a long time ago. Like if people cared about the fact that there's no forests." So yeah, definitely reaffirming that that they're just kind of shrugging their shoulders, being, "Well, I I don't know who really cares. No one really cares anymore." Except for you. That's always been true. Nobody really cares. They go to get about their business. Well, their business is to blow up the domes. Exactly. So we discover that they have these cylindrical metal bombs that are nuclear warheads. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like the size of like a Foster's oil can. Yeah. Those are really cool. Look, that was a cool prop. Yeah, it worked. I thought you were saying Foster's oil cans are really cool looking, which I also agree with. They're all right. No. <laughs> They used to seem exotic. They did used to seem exotic. Goodbye. So they're going to blow up a dome, and which one do they pick first? What's the first ecosystem to go? They go into like a like an alpine forest, I believe. Like a, a Christmas tree lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's, it's an ancient endangered ecosystem on Earth known as the Christmas tree lot. Yeah. <laughs> They've preserved in space. Yeah, and everybody can agree that, that that's we're all willing to let that one go first. The main dickhead, like, trips on a root or something yeah that was unclear he falls and he cuts up his hand pretty good and it looked just like he scraped it up a little bit i think he could have kept working i don't quite understand why he had to go to an infirmary for such a wound he was kind of being a wuss about it but he doesn't know um messing around in nature you know maybe he was like maybe he was worried about it he's like this is one of those poisonous christmas trees yeah exactly you better go i actually had the thought at the time that maybe Dern had already gone around and like set up booby traps or something i thought we were gonna go into like a first blood kind of thing exactly right because at this point in the movie you really are wondering like okay well where is it gonna go he's how is he going to save christmas (laughs) i mean how is he gonna (laughs) how's he gonna save the plants I was really excited for, like, gruesome um, darts coming out of the trees and logs, you know, uh, on ropes, right. crushing people's heads. Like, like like Return of the Jedi-style log crushing. Yeah, the Ewoks were going to attack. Yeah. and Yeah. <laughs> Rambo. Man, that would have been a great movie. 
But this is when we discover that Bruce Dern is also the medic on the ship. And so he's got to patch up this guy's hand. And they're, you know, like, cooler heads are kind of on right now. They're kind of like, they knew that they were getting too hot with each other in the, in the temper-wise, I should say, in the uh, mess hall. Everyone's kind of a little more like, yeah, yeah, this is just how it is. We gotta, we just gotta go on with our jobs. What scene did you see? That's not what I saw. He's not, he's not talking to him. The guy in white is like, like some announcement comes over the, says like, we need to move the ships apart to safe distances. The the, white guy's like, the guy in the, yeah, the distancing maneuver. And the guy in the white uniform says, I'm going to need your help with that. And, uh, and Lowell doesn't say anything. Yeah, he doesn't say anything, but like the attitude is chiller. Like it's his face is like, I am not with you. Like I'm doing my job, but we're not cool. That's what I meant. I didn't think that they were. I didn't mean to say that that I thought they were like buddies again or anything like that. But it was like this in this in between phase of the asshole guy is like, look, we have a job to do, and I need your help in order to do this. And Dern isn't. You know, he's not like fighting him now. He's not, like, going on an emotional screed. He's very, like, terse and stolid. He motes it very well. You know, you can tell he's super upset about it, but he's keeping it contained, is all I meant. They're not, like, at each other's throats or anything. I guess I guess because, you know, I have a six-year-old who sometimes doesn't answer me when I ask her to do something. <laughs> it really just pushes my button to, to see Lol. Just, like, like, I just, I need your help. Say something. Are you going to help me or not? Valley Forge, Valley Forge, please stand by for 10 hundred hours safe distancing maneuver in five minutes. So yeah, so the ships have to have to move apart because they're gonna because they're new nucle- they're detonating these greenhouses with nuclear bombs. Why? Why are they doing that? That's the question. What is the purpose of nuking the domes? There's no reason for that. Like you can you can jettison the dome. Mm-hmm. They're near Saturn. You could send it into Saturn. Yeah, I mean, all you're going to do is create more debris. You have space traffic. Later on, they talk about, like, deep space traffic going through that area. Like, you would never you would never create this sort of debris. You would definitely just send it into, into Saturn to just disintegrate, and then all of that material is not a problem. Right, exactly. If they're concerned about... The damn thing at all. I mean, I mean, what do you think this dome is? Is it like the size of a city block park? That's kind of yeah. The, they don't look. They don't look that. They big. don't look that big from the inside. From the, from the outside, it's hard to tell. Yeah, they don't look like they could re- repopulate any species from what they have there. But who knows? Yeah, and that's the other thing is it doesn't even make sense to do it this way. <laughs> like plants have seeds. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a seed bank as well. If this if this was a zoo, okay, maybe I get it. But like, plants are the easiest thing to preserve indefinitely. As far, as far as life goes, just have seeds. You don't need to keep them alive. Like we actually, we currently do that. We have germplasm, you know, banks all over the planet. And yeah. oh, what a dumb, dumb plan. Yeah. It is like a zoo. You're right. It's like a space menagerie. And a totally unnecessary space plant menagerie. I suppose that there may be some things like... Um, nematodes and soil bacteria and things like that that only ex- might only live in a in a like functioning eco ecology ecosystem okay that i don't know how maybe you'd preserve like you can a seed in a seed bank i'm just you know playing devil's advocate here yeah. sure uh, yeah i mean there are for sure some plants that 
well, first of all, you don't want you don't want to propagate from seeds, and then yeah, I guess all of the soil health, but like fungi, yeah, the mycelial network and all that stuff. But you can redo it from spores. That's true. That's true. As long as there's um, the right things there to eat, like nematodes. Yeah, you just need one big sort of like ship full of like I don't know horse manure and just like a big big composting ship, and you'd be fine. I mean, it's cool as a as an arc, you know, in this regard. That's the kind of the interesting thing about it, because what we're saying is like this is kind of crazy and extravagant. Like you wouldn't need that, and it did take a minute to real, you know, thinking about these these ships that are basically ecosystem arcs out there traveling around Saturn, thinking that the Earth was perhaps unlivable on the surface, and they were storing it until a time when you could refoliate like after a nuclear war or something. Uh, but it seems like maybe that's not the case. So yeah, that, it's confusing. Well, when, I mean, when the order comes down to do the nuclear detonation, he does say, Neil does say that there was no reason given. And I'm just going to assume that some people on earth figured it out that they don't need this shit. <laughs> <That> they, <laughs> they got lots of seeds and they can just grow, grow this stuff when they're ready. They just needed more information. Yeah. And so they were like, we were kind of, we kind of jumped the gun on this. The person that sold the idea was real passionate about it, and, and we did it, and now we realize we don't need it. And so if somebody, if somebody had just explained that to Lowell... That's all he needed to know. We have just received orders to abandon and nuclear destruct all the forests and return our ships to commercial service. So they go around uh, to the... All the different domes have a, a, supposit, a depository in them where you use a nuclear bomb as a suppository and put it in there. And so they start going around to all the different domes. And at this time, you can see there are, you know, nuclear explosions going off in space in the distance as the other ships are exploiting their payloads as well. Yeah, it's quite a long sequence of pods shooting off and then blowing up. They start ejecting their own domes that have like lots of party confetti in them when they shoot off of the ship. Yeah, I was like seeing that. I don't know what that stuff is, but you see it every time you see a rocket go off in a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be ice or something? I never understood I that. Yeah, I don't know. It looks right. <laughs> it looks yeah. great. It looked yeah. wrong without it. Dern is in the, his forest, his favorite dome, like frantically potting flowers. <laughs> he's, he's, Basically <laughs> trying to save any little bit, I guess. He's just doing like what I do when I like just want to get out of the house and I got like a beer in my hand and I'm like trying to make jobs in the garden like well i guess i guess i'll move this plant over here and this one over here i mean one of the domes from their own ship finally goes pretty near them you know it's pretty bright flash and you can see i think it was the desert pod i think it was too i think the desert dome went all those sonoran tortoises so sad that was the thing the plant life and all the animals apparently there was a lot of animals in there (laughs) weird selection of animals on this a lot of bunnies though I wonder if they really thought about how fast those bunnies would pr- reproduce. <laughs> That's right. When they decided like, to bring well, bunnies. They didn't bring any predators. Oh, shit. Just, I mean, you could have rabbit on the menu. Yeah, no kidding. That would be pretty good. I bet the guy, I bet the synthetic guys would have liked little rabbit if Lowell had just sort of met him halfway. Yeah, they seem like carnivores. You can have a barbecue in the forest dome, put out a ping pong table. <laughs> <laughs> guys gotta have fun. Guys gotta have a lot more fun than you're having. Right. Like you know, he wanted to be the like 
I'm at peace in nature camping and they wanted to be the, like, we're, we got our quads and we're four wheeling and he could have, yeah, he could have been like, well, let's do something somewhere in the middle. Exactly. I mean, they've been up there for eight or 10 years. You could have been making wine. I think it was just six months. And beer. Six months? Oh my God. I thought it was years no, or something. No, I think they said six, they'd been doing it for six months and they got six months to go. I could be wrong. Though. Wow. These guys are really crappy astronauts. <laughs> For deep space. Man, we've been at her six months. All we want to do is go home. Yeah. Stayed years up here. So, so maybe maybe it was years. I mean, I don't understand why he had so many more patches than everybody else. Was he making his own patches? At some point, we see him see him putting another patch on. Indy 500. Yeah, exactly. You know, race yes. car driver suit was, was covered in, in his merit badges. And I noticed at one point when he was working on something, we see... He bends down to work on a one of the droids or something, and he's got one patch on his back. Yeah, he's the one on the. So back. like he ran out of room on the front, and whatever the whatever the last merit badge he earned, he he sewed on his the back of his shoulder. So this is when you see the look go over his face, and he's decided he's made a decision. At this point, he can't allow this. Right, basically at that at that exact same time. The only one of the hillbilly crew members that was his, you know, kind of buddy comes in and is like, hey, come on. Right. Good old Red. Yeah. Red comes in. He's like, come on, old man. We got to put this bomb in here. And uh, he's during to stand there with a shovel and they get into it. Well, Red Red says, I, I know how you feel, but we got to do this. And Lowell says, you don't know how I feel. If you know how I felt, you wouldn't be in here with that. And they start wrestling. And I mean, it goes from like a tussled right to murder real quick. Yeah, like, I think choking somebody takes longer than that. I kind of thought that the shovel handle, like, crushed his larynx. Yeah, but still, I mean, I don't think that, I don't think that kills you instantly. Uh, I guess not. You you just... I still think you need to suffocate. True. I'm glad they spared us that. Yeah. If I'm not going to get gruesome deaths from booby traps in the woods, then don't even give me the slow suffocation. I didn't really see a murder coming from this guy. He doesn't seem like the murdering type, but no, there he goes. And he's, he's a little bit of shock for him, but he knows he's against the clock too. So he gets back to the, to the bridge, I guess. And I couldn't figure out why he was uh, hopping up and down so much. But when, when the guy he murdered got the shovel from him, I thought it just hit him in the leg, but I guess it like cut an artery or something because he's bleeding real bad. And he, and he gets and he goes and puts a tourniquet on. He grabs like a mic cable and ties that around his leg. Yeah. So the tourniquet thing, is that something that, that seemed to be a big thing back when in, in the olden days that people don't really do. Tourniquet is still a thing. It doesn't seem like something that happens very often in movies, but it seems like it used to be all the time people were doing tourniquets in movies. Yeah, I guess you would see it a lot as a dramatic thing in a movie. I can't remember the last time I saw a tourniquet in a modern movie. No, you'd think it would have to be like a modern Western or something. <laughs> yeah, it's always the Westerns. Like The Hateful Eight, which I didn't see, but Bruce Dern was also in, apparently. I bet you there's a tourniquet in that. Probably in The Cowboys, too, with John Wayne. And Bruce Dern, yeah. And Bruce Dern. Did I mention Bruce Dern? <laughs> you can't blow up this forest. So you didn't expect this hippie to kill somebody, and he did. So now, being the poker player that he is, he's pot committed, right? So he's got to kill everybody. Yeah, he decides to save the forest. When the other two crew members are in 
I think they're back in the Christmas tree dome, fucking with the nuclear bomb, and and he yeah he rejects the dome with them in it, and explodes it. I was surprised. Like so, I had really thought that he was going to end up in a dome by himself. I thought that was going to happen too. Like they were going to jettison the dome. He was going to be in it and disable the bomb. So he's just floating, and and that was going to be the story. It was right because as they're working, they keep being like, "Where's Lowell? Where's Lowell?" You know, while he's in his forest home, I, I was thinking the same exact thing. And the rest of the movie was going to be about him going insane in the dome by himself. He's on the horn with the other ships, and they're like, you know, what's your status? What's going on? Right. He, he recalls the bots, which we haven't really talked about. Oh, yeah. He brings the drones in. He asks the drones to meet him in the cargo bay. And there are three of these. Yeah, we learned that three of three. these drones. And the question I had about him immediately is like, is there a an amputee inside of these? Uh, because you can tell from their movement of their legs that they're organic. Yeah, there's a person inside. Because there's a bunch of robotic stuff in this film that's not right there's robotic robotic arms yeah that's clearly servos and motors but these things the way they move yeah i totally agree i I was definitely distracted by how how is this set up like we've we know about r2d2 we know about whatever the the daggett from battlestar galactica so what are these are these are these little people uh but the legs are so spread out out that it doesn't look like you unless you were like an, it looked like arms to me yeah and that's what it is it is that's what it is it's <laughs> exactly what it is bilateral amputees oh really there are four four actors that played the three drones huh. at different times and they all are you know torsos they're they don't have any lower limbs right so these guys were in these boxes um, walking on their hands hmm do you think that they designed these things and then found that as a solution? Or do you think they thought... That's a really good question. Let's design a robot around a bilateral amputee. It says here that the idea was inspired by a person named Johnny Eck, who was a sideshow performer early 20th century, who had been born without lower limbs, and that the suits were custom-tailored for the actors. So it seems like that's what they uh, had in mind. So... You know, these, these robots you can buy them, like, on eBay. Like, they tried to market them as toys. Oh, really? Yeah, so there's some models of them, but there's also modern-day models, and one of them is, like, a a resin model. It's, like, over $100, and it's... What? So one of the actresses was named Cheryl, and it's a model, and it shows her... It's, like, a resin model, and it shows her with her hand coming out, with like the this the like the foot sleeve isn't in place yet and like the front of the robot the door is off so you can see her face and there's like a script on the floor in front of her it's the craziest huh. resin model i don't know who would buy this thing but i had no idea that this film had made such an impact yeah do you want me to send you, <laughs> send you a link? no i'll just send the picture how do i do that again yes please send me a picture of that oh. whoa <laughs> yeah yeah it's I mean, it's every time we do a, one of these, I always look on eBay to see what sort of what sort of memorabilia and and things you can find. And this is the first time I've seen anything so amazing. Wow, and fascinating. I mean, I, I'm just fascinated that people uh, really are that into the uh, creations of this film to keep it alive in this way. Well, at least one person is. At least one person is. Though it's cool that they tried to make toys. I, I did find I did find a T-shirt. That has the three droids on it. Really? Um, and a really really nice like drawing. 
And I actually thought about buying it for myself. A New York Times film reviewer wrote at the time, the robots have have endearing qualities paddling about as if in galoshes, and they play a wonderful game of poker. This is sci-fi with the soul of an editorial. Damning praise. Yeah, it is. I think that's totally correct, though. Valley Forge to Berkshire. These drones, I, I think they're one of my favorite parts of the movie, as it turns out at the end. Yeah. He reprograms them to be surgeons and doctors and fix his leg. Yeah. I thought that was that was a really cool idea. And it was great that he had the smarts to, he had like the drone manual in his hand. Right. And he pulls their circuit boards and he rewires them. Yeah, I like this part. I was thinking about this. At first I was like, okay, there's no way they made robots that you have to like pull out the circuit board and like he's got the circuit board under a microscope and he's soldering and disconnecting wires. I was like, there's no way these things have to be reprogrammed that way. But then I realized that at some point while he's doing it, he says like, you guys are going to now answer to me. And I don't know if this was intentional or just my interpretation, but there are a lot of times like when you when you hack into electronic devices, you can't reprogram them outright very easily. So it's like almost like he he pulls out the circuit board so that he can kind of override the safety protocols or whatever. Like, you know, like there's certain program programming interfaces that have been disabled and he has to enable them or something like that, like some sort of safety features. So I thought that 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 part was maybe very, very believable compared to the rest of the movie. Deep hack. They just needed more of a, yeah, like uh, cyberpunk uh, music going on so that we <laughs> knew what was happening. Less, oh, yeah, the, uh, less Renaissance. Fias wasn't doing it for you. <laughs> yeah. Drone one, drone two, drone three, please report immediately to surgery. So they stitch him up and he gets back to the bridge and um, amidst all this, he has the drones dump some cargo. Yeah, with the Dow Chemical logo. Yeah, there's a Dow Chemical one. There's also a Coca-Cola one. Oh, I missed that. I didn't see that. Yeah. And there's another one that I couldn't recognize. Yeah. And that didn't make sense at first, but we find out later that he's already thinking ahead that he needs to fool the the rest of the fleet right he puts in a course change yeah because so he's got to get away right like he, he killed people he's trying to save nature he's a mass murderer at this point yeah and and he's trying to see he's got to save his forest really questionable ethics on this this hippie oh yeah he's he's real confused right now Valley Forge to Berkshire I've got an emergency so yeah so he talks to We've, we hear him talking to Neil, who's on the Berkshire, the other ship, and he's basically lying. Yet another, you know, problem we have here with Lowell's ethics. I've got a premature detonation on dome number two, and I've got an explosion in the main cargo deck. Now, please advise me immediately. And saying that, that he doesn't know where the other guys are and that there's something wrong. And Neil says, maybe you should do some welding or something. And they talk again a little bit later and... and the guy's like, yeah, the explosion must have been out this side because we saw some of your cargo floating away. Right, and they realize that he's on this course, that the Valley Forge is on this course now. It's heading towards the rings of Saturn. And they're like, we can't get there in time. We can't help you. And they suggest subtly that he do himself in. Like, they're, they're kind of like, we're sorry. We can't get to you. There's nothing we can do. Maybe you should think about, you know. That's, that's what I... I'm drawing my uh, finger across my throat. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not not your needle across your record. No. No, no. That'd be... <laughs> okay. Yeah. And at this point, Lowell, Lowell's talking to Neil in a really like 
super subdued mellow voice that actually kind of reminded me of um uh in Harold and Maud Bert what's that guy's name Bert Bacharach no raindrops are falling on my head Bert Reynolds <laughs> no Bert and Ernie my 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 favorite paper cup collection maybe Bud Court oh Bud Court well, I'm also a human being He's like pulling like a Harold and Maude Bud Court kind of voice, like a real, like kind of like a whisper, but not, but also real like low. Yeah, and I was kind of wondering if he's in like a post-traumatic state. Yeah. Or just overdoing it because of what he has done and trying to remain calm. And Bruce Stern really, I mean, he's, he's, the whole movie's on his shoulders, but he can totally carry it. His, his range of emotion and everything is like, it's pretty top notch. Oh, they say they'll, well, we'll send out a search party for you, but, you know, the chances aren't good of us ever finding you, so you're a hell of an American. And and I guess they start to enter the, he goes to sleep or whatever, but they start to enter the, the rings. Well, I think an important moment just was when the guy says you're a hell of an American, and then, like, the transmission ends, and then there's, like, a beat, Lowell says to himself, like, yeah, I am. Like, in his mind, he's totally justified in doing what he's done. He's on a crusade. So they're, he's plunging into the rings of Saturn. I thought that effect looked cool. Yeah, it looked cool. It was like a rainbow... Yeah, rainbow mist. Sandstorm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, one, of the, one of the bots bites the dust. Yeah, he's calling the drones back in, and I was uncertain what happened here. Find out later, but that's when I started to... I was like, wait a minute, are these drones like star wars style droids where they get scared and have emotions and stuff or what's going on because it seemed like it was just like oh shit and kind of like hunkered down yeah right like he's he's talking to him and he's like number three stay with the others yeah, come on guys all of a sudden it it just gets ripped off the ship or whatever he's gone they get through it and am i i guess we're supposed to understand that they passed through the rings yeah i guess so yeah okay not realistic just as a you know, former planetary scientists, not not a very realistic image of, of the rings, but... Aren't they full of, like, ice rocks and stuff? Yeah, I think they're just dust and all that, but they're, they're not very thick, and they're, you know, I think the mean free path between particles is pretty big. Like, I don't think it would be like a dust storm. Oh, or, I see what you're saying. There certainly wouldn't be a wind noise. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. They wouldn't be colorful, but... Okay. Like, I, I, I don't think, I, I don't think it would be good for your ship to go through them, but I don't think it would do what, what, uh... There's a lot of artistic liberty in those rings, is all I'm saying. There always is. He starts to feel remorse for his deeds. Yeah. And he sends one of the drones down to the forest dome to bury his murdered buddy. Yeah. Sends both of them down. They're both there. And he's giving him instructions about the grave. And he says, dig it three feet wide and seven feet long yeah but he, he never gives a depth no well it's it's just going to be as deep as that ditch witch can go i guess so yeah which didn't look like very deep yeah. at all because <laughs> no and i i guess this is robot number four that we know ne- doesn't really get much of a part is literally a ditch witch yeah exactly with, yeah with the logo still on uh-huh. it the ditch witch jt28 directional drill puts the operator first and then he gives a, a little eulogy, and he's definitely um, feeling regret over his actions. And I think the the uh, existential 
terror of what he's done is beginning to affect him. I like how the one of the bots is sitting there holding Red's baseball cap. Oh, was he? And they've pushed the body into the grave, and the drone is holding the hat out over the grave like it's going to put it in the grave, but it's waiting for Lowell to finish this, you know, funeral prayer. And then once once Lowell's done, then the drone drops the hat into the grave. I was like, that's... <laughs> Like, I, just, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I, uh, I would like to be able to say a prayer, but I, I don't really know how to say it. He's doing another reprogramming or further programming. Well, I, I think he, he gives them names and teaches them how to plant a tree. Yeah, he gives them names. He calls them Huey and Dewey, and Louie was the dead one. Right, he's starting to get close to him. Yeah, he's bonding with them. They go and they they go and they plant a tree, and he and he holds out something in his hand, and he says, "This is mulch," and he says, "Mulch is what makes trees grow." <laughs> does that does that work for you? No. I mean, this guy's, I guess, Mr. Nature, but I don't <laughs> I don't know what the hell that means. And then he puts the mulch in the hole before you put the tree in. Yeah. So I don't think this guy knows what the hell he's doing with plants. Guy is a terrible arborist yeah. or whatever. <laughs> he doesn't know anything about gardening. No. no. I mean, did you see the watering can he had anyway? It was like a child's watering can. Oh, yeah. His toy watering can. Uh, yeah, I know I'm dragging this out, but I really liked this part where he's teaching them how to plant the tree. He's got this little tree with like barely any roots on it, which I guess is, I don't know, could maybe work. Puts the mulch in the hole, gives the the tree to one of the drones to put in the hole, and then the drone like drops it into the hole. And I'm not sure we see how it ends up, but Lowell then just says, pitiful. (laughs) And like then the, the both drones then react like with like sad like motions you know like they look yeah they do a very silly thing where huey or dewey puts the soil back into the hole and then the other one drops the tree on top of it (laughs) it's like oh you silly robots you can't even get this right but they but they react to him calling them pitiful like like they're they're being scolded oh no yeah exactly so i don't know so we're seeing that this you know relationship is a blossoming relationship well it's pitiful pitiful that's exactly the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Right, and that these drones or droids or robots or whatever they call them drones have personalities and seem to have an inner life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm wondering, it doesn't matter at all, but I'm wondering, one, it's certainly for our benefit to make the movie more interesting and fun, but is this all like in his mind that's being warped or do they actually have, is there like ghosts in the machine shit that goes on with these drones especially as he reprograms them more and more like i was thinking that right you know are they becoming more than the sum of their programming at this point in the movie we get more bad music well that accompanies several bad montages yeah i wrote down some of the like the key words in this in the lyrics that really kind of ticked me off oh let's hear flowers Mm. trees Uh swallows fly Uh. forest child Mm. hmm I caught that one. Just a really irritating song. Right, and during the montage, we see him like lying in bed, gazing over at like a uh, conservation pledge. It looks like maybe it's a vintage, like Smokey the Bear poster. Yep. Yeah. And he also uh, 
he sews a new merit badge onto his Jesus robe that says Saturn on it. Yeah, and I think this is why I think like he's just making all those patches himself, which is something my daughter does, and it's totally acceptable, I suppose, if you're, you know, pretending that you're in the Boy Scouts. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's cool for a 35-year-old man out in the, you know, just murdered all of his friends. <laughs> he just keeps saying, like, he keeps just walking into into the galley. He's like, hey, I got another patch. <laughs> Check out this. They're like, oh, man. You, look at this. Check this out. Did you see this? By themselves, they're like, should we be worried about this? No, no. <laughs> like, like, they have zero patches. There's got to be a reason why they did that. It's never explained. He's got a patch that just has the shovel on it, and it says, like, first degree murder <laughs> one or something. <laughs> yeah. He's got a badge for every dead crewmate. Him and the droids are outside. He's got a, a very strikingly tight blue spacesuit on. Blue corduroy spacesuit. He's suit. doing a spacewalk. Doing a spacewalk. Yeah, I like the corduroy. Look great. Uh, he's out there with the drones, and we find the the foot of Drone 3. Yeah. A.K.A. Louie. And so his foot was stuck in, like, yep. some railing. And I felt really bad because yeah. he wasn't scared. He was trapped, and he couldn't get away. Yeah, and then... And then also... The droids are, like, scared about it or sad about it. They won't go near it. And so Lola's... Yeah, Lola's saying, you know, what's what's the matter? What are you guys... What's going on? And they're sitting there, like, they're, like, mourning. This is Louie's leg that's been caught and torn off. Yeah, that's how it seemed. And then he yells at them and he says, see what happens when you get careless? <laughs> <laughs> like, he scolds them. He scolds like, them. <laughs> and, and apparently, is, <laughs> they're, they're, like... Louie got what he deserved. Is what he's saying, yeah. yeah. Don't be like Louie. Pay attention on the job. Jesus. Come on, be be a nicer guy. It's also interesting that they were sad and weirded out by it, but they don't feel that way about murder. Yeah. Like, they watched him kill this guy, and they're fine with that, apparently. Maybe they're just terrified of, of Lowell, you know? Oh, right. They feel like they're trapped in a prison with this madman? Yeah, like, uh... Like, they're looking at each other, but they're not talking about it. Well, that's the thing. They do do a lot of back and forth that we don't understand. Right. He te- he teaches them to play poker. At some point during the poker match, he yells at them because they're talking to each other. There could be this whole idea that... Yeah, he's like, hey, stop that. Else You can't talk with each other when we're playing poker. Yeah, I thought they were all buds, but now that I think about it, like, he's kind of a dick to them. I mean, you can tell he really cares about them, too. Yeah, that's true. I think you're right, though. I think it's more that they're, like, freaked out by him, and they're playing along. Because there's another scene where they're outside, clearly talking amongst themselves. And that was the impression I got. Maybe I'm paranoid. All right. Well, you probably are. Now he's racing around the go-karts. Oh, right. Banging into things, acting like a maniac. And he knocks over a, a bin of soil. Yeah, at first I thought it was, like, his coffee supply. <laughs> I was like, you're going to be really bummed out, man. <laughs> well, he did seem bummed out that he knocked it over. Yeah, he was. It sobered him up. Before this scene, I was thinking this would be interesting if this whole experience turns him into like one of the other three crew members where he suddenly becomes more like them and he starts hating, hating the plants or whatever. There's this go-kart scene where he's racing around kind of out of control and I was like, oh, this is where this movie's going to go. That's crazy. And then it definitely didn't go in that direction. He's being eaten alive by 
guilt and regret and also realizing that he needed those people more than he thought he did, I guess. Yeah. Just as as companionship. Right. I I think the movie does focus on that or that's kind of what that's, yeah, what the movie is sort of floating on through this section. And I just think that that was not that interesting. And it never taught, it never goes anywhere near the like, well, what now? Like, what's your plan now? There could have been this, um, you know, like at the end of The Graduate, right? They get married and there's the famous scene at the back of the bus where they sort of like look at each other. They have nothing to say to each other. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay, so he's done this thing that is really rash. And we all were able to follow along with that and understand how he ended up killing three people and launching himself into some dangerous orbit in order to save the forest but now what? And like, he has to come to terms with the fact that like, oh, like maybe now that he's done this, he still can't save the forest anyway, because nobody's going to be able to get it from him or nobody's going to want it, or he can only stay alive for so long. You know, like there's all of this stuff that could have been this like extra baggage on top of him or this extra weight that this never addressed. And that could have also been helping to drive him crazy. Right. I think you've nailed it. I mean, I think that's the, in- the internal struggle that's going on. I don't think that's the intention of the filmmaker. Like, I don't feel like any of that was touched on. I just think that's where the film sh- could have gone and it would have been more interesting. I Yeah, I see what you mean. I, I guess I feel like, you know, the way he's becoming, he becomes more and more unhinged in some ways. And you now he keeps trying to do new things to make it interesting and m- teaching the droids to play poker with him because that's something he misses. And there's little quick flashbacks of him like playing poker with his buddies, even though they weren't really like buddies. Like, it didn't seem like anybody really liked each other. But when the tables are turned, when you're all alone, plus you murdered them all, you know, your memory is distorted, I'm sure, of what the facts actually were. Or maybe it's more clear, being like, oh, those guys weren't so bad after all. What have I done? And I think that's what it's about, is him compensating all this time, making a go of it because he's he's committed to this course of saving the forest but i think you're right he's got to be thinking like what's the end game here i think that's why he falls apart because he can't get there like is he gonna live to an old man just tending this forest in space yeah i just think i think the filmmaker just needed to give us one uh like one ladder rung to hold on to to for that idea like there was no evidence that that was going through his head so i mean it was it was going through my head The man has a full house and he knew it. Now, how about that? The man had a full house and he knew it. We're turning into the some of the final acts, and he returns to the forest home, and like it's all it's all fucking dying. Yeah, and defoliating. Right before we see this. Like the robots walk in on him and he's been eating synthetic food. Oh yeah, right. And then he throws it in the bin, you know, out of guilt. Like whether or not he's throwing it in the bin because he's embarrassed to have been caught with it or he just realized how atrocious (laughs) his behavior has been. So then he throws it away. I don't know. But I thought that was kind of a weird bit where it was like, okay, so he's deteriorating. He's not eating from the forest. Yeah. Has he not been going to the forest? Because then we, in the very next scene, like you said, he goes to the forest and it's it's dying. Right, that's the thing. Like we don't know how much time has gone by. It was striking to see how much the forest looked sickly. So it's like, well, how long has he been gone? Right. So he's dying inside and this forest is dying. Back in like the bridge or something and he's talking to one of the drones about getting a soil sample. 
Yeah, he's been trying to figure it out. He's been he's been looking at books and doing you know experiments with his microscope. He's doing his plant pathology stuff. Yeah, and then he asks Huey to take a plant sample and then tells him to wait right there. He's going to come to the dome. And he's flying down the corridor in his go-kart and just jams right into poor Huey. Yeah, crashes right into him. Huey, I thought I told you to stay in the forest. Oh, man, he feels so bad. Yeah, that was that was pretty tough. I was angry at him for having driven so fast. Yeah, slow down. Drive that go-kart like your drones live here. So he rushes to the infirmary with the drone and starts doing surgery on him. And the other one is looking on in obvious concern. Yeah. And they're having a real uh, situation here. And he pulls out some circuit boards and he does some stuff and puts them back together. And we're not really sure what the deal is, but apparently he's not back to spec. Yeah, not 100%. And and he's very apologetic. Nobody's happy about this. But th- there's some real emotion here. Yeah, and th- they have they can really communicate with each other. I'm sorry, Huey. But that's the best that I can do. There's more montage stuff and we we get a sense that a lot more time has passed because there's just like half-eaten food dishes. And trash. It's trashed. It's a total fucking pigsty. It's just totally trashed. Like, the galley is trashed, but even the bridge. And the bridge of the spaceship is pretty cool. Like, I like like all the computer terminals and those old 70s keyboards are pretty nice. So there's a lot of of eye candy in there for, like, an old nerd. But, um, yeah, it's totally trashed. Food everywhere. Food containers. He's been, like, getting takeout, it looks like. Chinese food and... Yeah. He's been in quarantine. (laughs) He's like, just leave it at the door. Mm-hmm. Leave it at the airlock. At one point, he is like lying down and he has one of these blankets. Do you remember these blankets? These like polyester, the cheapest camp blankets. I feel like when I would sleep over at a friend's house and they like pulled out the spare blankets, like these are like real 70s things that lingered around into the 80s, but they're like these horrible cheap polyester blankets with like that satin Uh, trim on one side that goes up under your, you know, which part goes up under your chin. They just gross me out. Yeah, that is a a really, yeah, that's that's a disgusting fabric. I remember having to sleep under those in different situations, like going over to relatives' houses. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah, man. That was always the scenario. Yeah. Evidently, they made their way out into space. Like, gross me out the door. I mean, he's like a recycle, reuse kind of person, so he probably picked it up at a thrift shop. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a total hipster, <laughs> which we're about to see because once he realizes the problem with the forest is it's not getting enough sunlight. Yeah. He crams in all these uh, UV full-spectrum light bulbs. Please transmit immediately. Berkshire to Valley Forge, Berkshire to Valley Forge. How about a word, Lowell? Hey. Well, at this point, the Berkshires contacted him and said, hey, we found you. And he's like, what? How did you find me? Why, why did you even try? Hey, you must be kidding. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we see you. We'll be there in six hours. And he's like, well, I didn't know you were looking. And they're like, well, we told you, dumbass. We sent the search party. And he's like, oh, right. Like, it's the 11th hour. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even think of this on his own. And the message, they're like, yeah, like, you've been in, like, the darkness shadow, right, of Saturn or whatever. And he's like, oh, the sun. <laughs> this brilliant idea. Like, <laughs> this is a, yet more evidence that this guy has no idea how plants work. The sun. 
That's what it is. The sun. Did you hear what he just said? It's the sun. What? Uh, nothing. I was just saying that uh, everything is all right. He's like a Cub Scout. And how are these ships designed so that they need to like have the, the ship be pointed at the sun? Because trust me, the sun is very dim at Saturn. Right, like there's no way the sun is giving any light anyway. Like if you if you can see it or not at Saturn. Right on. That had totally crossed my mind. Is something I wanted to ask you about. Like if they're depending on the sun solar radiation to fuel these plants, that's got to be too far away. No, not a chance. I mean, that's why Earth is the way it is. Yeah, exactly. The, they would have these domes like lit up with full spectrum lights and they'd be on timers and they'd have irrigation. There's water because there's like a fountain and stuff and a, and a grotto. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you were suddenly like, oh, they need to be watered. That's so weird. But Brando's got what plants crave. It's got electrolytes. So he sets up like, you know, a dozen light bulbs. Yeah. He basically turns the dome into like a contemporary like hipster restaurant yeah with a bare bulb clear glass edison bulbs <laughs> totally but they didn't even overexpose the can't like the shot so it doesn't even look like it's that bright they don't look bright enough <laughs> it's just like it's just like a really nicely lit patio exactly yeah be great to go get a beer he's like I, I did it this is gonna be the future this place is gonna be swarming with people and beards in no time <laughs> yeah yeah. I'm going to sell the shit out of some really hoppy beers in here. Charge way too much money. <laughs> oh, yeah. The killer mac and cheese for $15. You've probably never heard of it. He's actually starting to look rough now. Like, his beard's grown a little bit. But not much. But a little bit. Which also fucks with how much time has gone by. Was he shaving all this time? But apparently, it's been weeks. I think it's safe to say. And maybe he just started not shaving. <laughs> recently he was trying to keep it together up until now but he's red under the eyes and he's having a heart-to-heart with the droid i just can't do it anymore you see things uh things just haven't worked out for me that's <laughs> the understatement yeah, i love it He's like, he goes from the beginning of the movie to being like, I'm going to get this great promotion. To, things haven't worked out for me. And he's real, I mean, he's real broken up. But it's like the broken upness of, of a crazy person now. And he's telling uh, Dewey, droid number one, that, look, I've taught you everything you need to know about taking care of the woods. You got to stay here because I can't do it. And Huey here, he's come with me because he ain't working so good. <laughs> this part makes me so mad it doesn't make any sense again i mean we have to discuss what happens in the end but it really makes no sense Huey, you have to come with me because you're just not working well enough to help dewey well right because at that point i thought okay well he's decided he's gonna go meet with the ship meet with the berkshire that's coming to dock with them and they were already they already said look disconnect the last dome but don't even worry about blowing it up it's not important anymore just disconnect that we're going to come and dock with you and pick you up so as the viewer i'm like all right so he's going to ensure the survival of his dome with this robot caretaker right and he and the broken robot are going to go back to earth with these people get the robot fixed they're not going to go to the dome to find the other body that's buried there so he'll just live with this triple murder yeah but they're going to know the berkshire's going to know that he lied how well, because he said that there was all of this damage 
that didn't really exist. Like he was saying like one, you know, part of the ship had blown out. And even when they contacted him the second time, they were like, they even said, we didn't, we don't really see the damage. And he was like, oh no, it's on the other side. Right. That would be a big hole in his story. Yeah. So like he knew he was going to get caught, which doesn't mean he couldn't, he couldn't have been like, you know, give himself up and been like, I don't know, throw me in jail or whatever. You know, he would have to blow up part of the ship and, you know, to cover his tracks would be really difficult. Right. He doesn't have time for that anymore. Take care of yourself, dude. The Berkshire is still a few hours out and he launches the forest dome and then we see him back in whatever ship's quarters and he's he's arming like all of the rest of the nukes. And I was like, what is, is he blowing up the ship? You know, when I was a kid, I put a note into a bottle and it had my name and address on it. And then I threw the bottle into the ocean. And I never knew if anybody ever found it. And, uh, yeah, that's that's what he's doing. He arms them all. Yeah. And the droids stand there looking at him. And he, you know, his last action is to kind of put an arm out and touch his buddy, his droid buddy. And boom. Joan Baez comes back. Yeah, more terrible music. watch the forest dome float off into the sunset basically except probably in the wrong direction and (laughs) Dewey is watering the forest with his child watering can boy this guy really fucked up you're right he did not know what he's doing at all yeah and so like this is what really bugs me so the scene where he's telling he's got the two bots they're in the dome he's hasn't jettisoned it yet and he's saying to Dewey he says you know things haven't worked out for me and he's like, uh, what, what's number two's name? Louie? Huey? Huey. He's like, Huey, you're garbage. So you <laughs> and I, we just, we'll just blow ourselves up. Like, he doesn't say that, but that's what he's thinking. Yeah, like, he doesn't ask the droid what it wants to do. Huey's got, like, a fucked up arm, but he's still walking around. And, you know, Huey and Dewey are buds. Yeah. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't you just leave Huey with Dewey? And they could... They could just, you know, orbit the sun watering plants. I insisted on killing him. I'm sure that, that Huey could do something. Yeah. So anyway, this Lowell, no good. I do not like Lowell. Don't like him. All right. Well, why don't we pivot into the review section of our program? At the very end, the drones got the first credit when the credits roll. Yes. And then they thanked a lot of the corporations that had uh, their logos in, in the film. So I don't I don't know. I don't know if product placement was happening these days. Like, I don't think. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. You, you think Dow Chemical was paying for their logo to be on that cargo pod? You know, I'm sure that the producers went all over looking for money. I don't know what the huh. budget was for this, but I bet you it wasn't much. Yeah, the budget for the movie was a million I had read that the film house or whatever the production company actually gave out like $7 million for seven films. Like they gave out $1 million to seven different people to make films with no interference. And this was like one of them. Oh, that's very interesting. So there was a bunch of them. And what was the Dennis Hopper motorcycle movie? Easy Rider. Yeah. So like Easy Rider, I guess it was the same studio that did Easy Rider did this. I could be totally wrong if I've misread all of this, but. People can look it up on their own. But Easy Rider was this sort of counterculture hit. And so the studio decided that they would give, I think several people, several of the people were actors, but 
um, a million dollars each to make whatever sort of counterculture movie they wanted, and the studio was not going to interfere, and this was one of them. That's cool. I feel like that's a... Uh, if that's true, it's wonderful. If it's not, it's a wonderful idea. And one of the companies... just. <laughs> to jump back one of the companies that was thanked was univac it was called the univac division of like sperry randall i don't know some other company but it was the univac division i thought that was interesting because like univac isn't that like one of the early computers i think so i didn't even know there was a univac univac division of anything but like clearly somebody was helping out like that bridge was just packed full of monitors and keyboards consoles and things so shopping around a film you're going to send people out to, you know, hey, we're making a science fiction film in space in the future. When you're, we're looking for money, we'll put your logo in there. Yeah, like they've got money to burn. Like, oh, sure, you're on a spaceship. Like, we want to see Dow Chemical, you know, like make it into the future. I guess I just thought the Dow Chemical thing was like a commentary on like, this is clearly an environmental. You thought it was a dunk? Yeah, right. Like, we're going to we're gonna push that Dow, those Dow Chemicals right off the ship because we're going green. <laughs> I guess you could interpret it as when you're seeing the the cargo bays with all the just metal boxes with logos on it like that, you know, that's the world that the earth has become. You know, it's the opposite of the the forest world that he's trying to save or something like that. So sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. You read that way. Yeah. What did you think? I'm curious about his final actions uh, about committing suicide, blowing up the ship. Do you think the main drivers were... Not wanting to face justice? Is it consumed by guilt? Or like just like space crazy at this point, which maybe is a combination of all those things. I don't know. I mean, he why could he have not been on the greenhouse? Like why couldn't he have just floated off on the greenhouse with both bots? Right. Well, it seemed like he lost his will, his his ability to cope. Yeah. On his own in a, in a I think short time. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. I mean, I, I think the him blowing up the ship was a, was a like he had no way out. And I guess yeah, I guess he didn't want to face justice. But I don't think he. Fe- I don't know that he felt like he had done the wrong thing. Like he in his in the funeral speech, he talks about how he'll always he'll always feel bad about it. And you know, it didn't seem like he was happy that he had murdered three people. But he also said that. <laughs> That he felt like he was it was justified in doing it. Right. He felt like he did the right thing. At the end of the day, even though even though yeah. it destroyed him. So But I think you could go either way with it. Yeah, he either went crazy from guilt or he just was like, Well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like this didn't work <laughs> real well. Are, things didn't work out. Things for didn't me. work out for me, like he said. Shit. Well, I was gonna ask you what your final analysis was. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't think it was a very good movie. Uh I'm glad it was an hour and a half. I like the idea of it. It just felt pretty predictable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just felt like a real obvious social commentary and it didn't bring anything to the science fiction world that was interesting. Like, I don't think the problems that he faced were interesting in a science fiction way or solved in a science fiction way. I agree. I think that it was a pretty rudimentary allegory, even for 1972. You know, the environmental problems were forefront then in people's minds as they are now, or at least they ought to be. But yeah, it, it didn't have a lot of substance. I liked the drones. I liked I liked Bruce Stern's acting a lot. And yeah, I liked the idea of those ARC ships. 
I feel like in illustrations and magazines of that time, I feel like we saw a lot of things like that. Geodesic domes in space kinds of things. It was sort of similar to the black hole ship in a way. Yeah, totally. Yep. I think that was very much the way people saw that aspect of space travel. Even if this ship wasn't for that, you would have part of your ship that was like the garden that grew everything the crew ate and all that. It was very much a 70s notion, it seems. Right. I enjoyed watching it. Was it a good movie? Nah, not really. I I did enjoy watching it. I think Bruce Stern did a really good job. And the droids also were were pleasant. Well, folks, there you have it. If you like Bruce Stern and you like silly little droids that are actually bilateral amputees walking on their hands, which is how they do, then you might very much enjoy Silent Running from 1972. All right. Yeah, I might get myself one of those toys. And so now we come to the time in the escape pod in which we determine what film to watch next. Tron, now in the hundred eighty-two. Okay, so next week on the Escape Pod, we are going to review the original 1982 Tron. Yeah, how does this? How does Tron uh, sit in your memory? For some reason, I have memories of like hanging out with my cousin at arcades <laughs> and playing uh-huh. Tron, and then also like I think, I think in his bedroom he had like a Tron hood that you could put on, and like the you know the bad guys had those hoods. Oh, uh, yeah. David Werner definitely did. Do you remember those little, tiny, like, it looked like an arcade game, but you would, you'd buy it and you'd have it in your bedroom, but it yeah, was like... it sat on your desk or in your lap or something. But it was like an LCD game, like a really, really shit game to play, actually play. But it actually had like a joystick, right? Yeah, right. So I remember having like Tron version of that. <laughs> also, I remember like watching the movie and not not fully understanding it interesting emotions and interesting feelings about the movie i was definitely pondering through these two realities uh cool well it'll be fun to watch it again i mean we got your david werner and you got your young handsome jeff bridges bruce boxleitner oh really bruce box cutters in this one yeah hell yeah he's tron I didn't know that guy had a sci-fi legacy. You know, my other podcast is the Scarecrow Mrs. King podcast. <laughs> well, it's been fun. Thank you to everybody for listening. Fun as always. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Five stars only, please. And thank you to Golden Boots for the theme music at the beginning and I guess wherever. You can hear it right now. Thank you. And you can reach us on, uh, you can send us a message on the emails. I thought you had it written down. <laughs> I did, but I threw away that piece of paper. I believe that it is sci-fi escape pod at Gmail. Until next time. We'll uh, see if we can get out of this pod eventually. Maybe one day. Here's to that.